We are going to go into the word of the Lord. This is Bible study night. And when we say Bible study, that's exactly what we mean. We're going to study the Bible tonight. Amen. And uh, we're not here to talk about Time Magazine. And Is that even, I don't know if that still exists. I, I think Time Magazine ran out of time. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Well, praise God. Um, all right. This is getting dangerous now. I got to, I got to, I got to pull back on the reins and. Got a long way to go here tonight. We got another church to cover. We've been in the midst of going through these seven churches of Asia found in the book of Revelation. If you would turn there with me to Revelation chapter 1. And the very last book of the Bible here. And um, generation, generation. I was thinking about the man who said, he's, he, he got up and told him, said, God is... Every word of the Bible is true all the way from generations to revolutions. And uh, I was thinking about that and tried to say revelation. And lo and behold, if it didn't come out of my mouth just like it did his. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 11. Revelation 1 and verse 11 saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And, uh, and we're going to skip down to verses 19 and 20. Revelation 1, verses 19 and 20. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels, and that word is uh, in the original, it's messengers. The seven stars are the messengers, or the pastors, of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are... The seven churches. Amen. So John was given instruction by the Lord himself to write a letter to each of seven. Now these weren't the only churches in Asia. But the Lord picked these seven to write what was to be a public letter to all seven of them. And I've said before, I don't know, I don't know how I'd feel about the Lord writing a letter about me to everybody else. But that's what he did for these churches. I hope that he has enough good to say about me. That, that it would be alright. And for some churches he had plenty of good. For many churches he found things that were wrong. For one church he found nothing wrong there and... And for one church, he found nothing right. And, uh, and all of them, whatever their condition, whatever their status, all of them, their letters were to be made public and to be read among all churches. And even today, here we are, 2,000 years later, still reading these letters to these churches. 
and gleaning things from these churches. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's amazing. I, I hope that you've noticed, I know you're still standing, but I hope you've noticed just how relevant these letters are even today. You know, human nature just doesn't change. Um, man that I know, he said, you know, he said, we, people think they come up with some new idea. He, he, said, he said, really all it is is the same old gal. She's got on a new dress. And that's, that's the way it is most of the time. A lot of these things that circulate and go around are not new. They've been going around for a long time. They just put a new name on it, put a fresh spin on it, and throw it out there again. Because human nature is the same. And our adversary is the same. The devil's still the same. And he still uses the same old tactics to try to get to us. And God is still the same. And thank the Lord for that last part, huh? Amen. Praise God. So tonight, uh, we are going to be looking at the church in Thyatira. Thyatira. And uh, there's some things we need to learn from this church tonight. Let's put our Bibles down, lift our hands, lift our voices. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your touch that you've granted me already, Lord. God, I'm so thankful that I have the voice that I have right now. Lord God, this is such an improvement over what I had when service began. And I'm thankful for that touch. Thankful, Lord, that you've done it. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to help me tonight. I want you to use me, God, to feed the flock of God. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits. Let us receive from you that which you want to give to us. Anoint your servant tonight, though I'm not worthy to be anointed. God, I can't do this without that anointing. And so I ask for it. In Jesus' name, let's praise him one more time, everybody. Let's praise the Lord. I love you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. Now again, God bless you, you may be seated. Again, I have so much ground to cover that if I get bogged down in trying to do a review, then we won't get to what I need to cover tonight. So I would just encourage you that if there is one or more of these lessons that you have missed, that you would go to the website uh, they are all there. They are all up to date. You can go there, download them for free. And um, you can listen. Or if you don't want to download them, you can just click the play button and they'll play right there on the website. And then we try to make it easy for you to stay up to date. But you do want to hear all of these things. We pointed with the one thing I would say by way of review is that we pointed out to you in the first lesson. That I believe the reason why these seven churches were chosen out of all of the churches that existed in Asia at the time is because when you take these seven as a whole, you can find all of the things, all of the problems that a church can have, all the things that need to be corrected in a church. You can also find all of the strengths 
that God wants a church to possess. Number seven is God's number of completion. We say perfection. Uh, and, and so what we know is if you can get the good out of these seven and stay away from the bad found in these seven, that what you end up with is the perfect or complete church. Doesn't mean it's going to be flawless. It's not what we mean by perfect. Amen. It just means complete. It means it is what God wants it to be. As long as there are human beings in it, it'll never be perfect. Hallelujah. In fact, that's what the church is for, is for the perfecting. It's because we're not perfect that we come to church. People point their finger, I don't want to go to that church because there's hypocrites. Well, honey, where do you think they ought to be? That's like saying, I'm not going to that hospital. There's sick folks there. Well, where do you think sick folks ought to be? Hospital's not for those that are well. And the church is not for those that are perfect. But every one of us come into this place with our own flaws, our own failures, our own weaknesses. Because we're human. But the reason we keep coming is because, Brother Goff, God is perfecting us. He's working on those things. He's trying to fix those things. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And I need somebody else to look at me once in a while. You know, I, I can't always do a self-examination and figure out what's wrong. I can't always find the answers at WebMD. Sometimes I need a doctor to take a good look at what's there. Praise God. Amen. Sometimes folks have created bigger problems by self-diagnosis. And especially by self-treatment. And that's the truth. I've got a dear friend who, who was not much older than me, just a matter of months, who has gone to his reward today because he was determined he was going to cure his own illnesses. And that's the truth. He was always determined he was going to fix it himself. And he went about trying to do it. And introduced all kinds of infections into his body. and All kinds of things as he, as he tried to fix himself. And I want to tell you, this is, this is why we need the church. We can't fix ourselves. We can't even see some of the blind spots we've got. There are things about us we don't even recognize. We need somebody else to help us. Well, praise God. Amen. All right, I've got to get into this or we'll never... Get done. So tonight we are looking at the city of Thyatira, the church that was in Thyatira. So far we've covered Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and now Thyatira, the fourth of these seven churches. So we are, we are crossing that halfway mark now of the seven churches that are there. Let's talk a little bit about the city of Thyatira tonight. It was if you want to talk population of the seven churches that are addressed here, the cities in which these churches were located, Thyatira was, uh, from what I could find, was the smallest of all of the seven cities represented by these letters. Now, it was also perhaps the least important 
from a political standpoint. We've talked about some of the other cities and how the Roman government uh, elevated them and, 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 and uh, did things for them. Thyatira didn't have any of that. Didn't have any of that. But what Thyatira did have is that it was a very notable commercial and business center. A lot of business that was run out of Thyatira. And, uh, and so that was a great benefit to them. It was a, a, a great boon to their economy. I pastored in a place many years ago that everybody there, it seemed, or nearly everybody, uh, worked in some kind of oil field-related uh, uh, job. Uh, whatever they were doing, it was connected to the oil field in some way. And then uh, they started shutting down oil fields because of the environment and, and, and what have you. And suddenly we found that uh, everybody in the church, every man at least in the church, was without work. And uh, they all lost their job. Having, having consistent business in your city is a real help. Thyatira had it. Uh, in fact... Thyatira, one of the things that they have discovered as archaeologists have gone in and, and dug through uh, the rubble and the remains of Thyatira. Now there is a city there today, but you go down into the biblical times, uh, into the ground, and, and one of the things that they have found there is that there were uh, many, many uh, guilds or um, trying to think of a way to say it, trade unions, organizations that were built around a specific line of business. Uh, there were more of those that were operating in Thyatira than in any other city in Asia uh, during that time period. So now this is a smaller city, but they had a lot of these unions, if you please. I don't know if that's a good term, but it, it's the closest I can get. Uh, they called them guild, uh, a guild, uh, and, and there were many of these guilds that were there. And, and the thing about it, each of these trade guilds, uh, whether they were uh, bricklayers or uh, whatever they might be, workers with wood, uh, whatever their, their skill might be, each of these guilds had their own quote-unquote sponsor god. There was some god that, uh, that they said was the face of their effort that backed what they were trying to do. And so in each of these trade unions, they had their own God that they worshipped. So this was a city of, of many, uh, many, many, many gods being worshipped. Now, these guilds, these trade unions had mandatory social events. Stay with me for a little while. we, we got to kind of lay this foundation so you understand uh, what's going on when Jesus starts dealing with his church. I'm going to tell you tonight, uh, it's not nearly as exciting as some of the others. There's some real problems we're going to get with in Thyatira here. Uh, everybody knows how bad Laodicea was, but sometimes we miss how bad Thyatira was. It was, it was bad in a different way than Laodicea. But it was still very bad. Uh, these guilds, these trade unions would have these mandatory social events uh, that, that featured very sensual dancing. 
and drunkenness and, and perversion, uh, sexual perversion of every kind. And, and, and it, was, it was the type of thing they, they had to participate. It was mandatory. If you're going to be in this union, you have to come. You have to be a part. You have to do what we're doing. And so that put the Christians in that city in a very difficult spot. Because if they didn't belong to the guild, if they didn't belong to the union, then they weren't allowed to work. But if they belonged to the union, they had to go to their ungodly parties. And they met frequently for a common meal. And the meal was a religious ceremony. Uh, A lot of times it would be held at a heathen temple. And it would begin with a sacrifice to that God or those gods. And they would offer their sacrifice. Then they would take the animal that was slain and they would divide it up. And that was their meal that day. So they were eating food that was offered to idols. Are you with me tonight? Amen. Now, uh, if somebody did not join or did not participate, then it meant financial hardship and really financial ruin. It meant they could not work. They could not get a job. They were outcast because of their religious belief. Now, one of the biggest guilds in Thyatira Uh, And really the main commercial business from all that archaeologists have been able to discover. One of the biggest guilds there was uh, uh, involving dyes. Uh, Creating these dyes to where they could take cloth and turn it into some other color. All right. That was probably the biggest business in their city. And they were well known for how they had perfected this art. You wanted to get a real, true, royal purple, then go to Thyatira. You wanted something that really was a, 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 a real uh, midnight blue or whatever. You go to Thyatira. They had perfected the skill of, of, of creating these Color dyes. And in fact, in Acts 16, the Bible talks about Paul having a convert from Thyatira uh, who was involved in that, at least prior to her conversion. Acts 16, verse 14. Listen to this. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So here's a woman from Thyatira, and, and her job, her work, her business was that she, uh, she sold purple. That was her task. But the Bible says that she worshipped God. Now evidently she was worshipping God to the best of her knowledge. She was doing everything, Brother Nelson, that she knew to do. Much like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He was serving God to the best of his knowledge. But can I submit to you tonight that just because you're doing everything you know to do doesn't mean you're doing everything God wants you to do. 
uh, 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 Lydia was involved uh, in this in this uh, selling of purple. And as I said, in order to really be involved in this, she must have been going to these parties. But the Bible says that when Paul began to preach, the Lord opened her heart and she attended unto the things which Paul preached. Which says to me is, she understood I can't keep doing what I was doing before. I got to make a change somehow. Hallelujah. Amen. But this is just one example uh, of all of this. So let's go now to the letter itself. And as we have done each week, we're going to read the entire letter to the church at Thyatira. And then if you'll just leave your Bibles open to this passage, we're going to come back and break it down verse by verse or a couple of verses at a time. And we're going to get what we can out of this before our time runs out tonight. Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse number 18. This is a lengthy letter. The Lord says a whole lot in this one. And so so pay attention to what's being said. Read for me if you would, Brother Nelson. Uh, Revelation 2, beginning with verse number 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, uh-huh. and his feet are like fine brass. Yeah. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her unto great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, now that's a long letter compared to the other ones that we've read. Yeah. you got to catch your breath after that one, huh? And, and, and there are some very deep and very strong statements that are made in this letter. Um, and so we're going to look at these things tonight. And again, I'm just issuing a warning. And all I'm doing is trying to show you what the Lord said to that church. Um, now, now, I've tried in each of these to give you the definition of the name of the city because generally it has some uh, bearing on the approach that the Lord takes in his writing to the church. As I've pointed out, Ephesus means desired one or beloved and the problem in Ephesus is they lost their first love. We, we talked about uh, Smyrna meaning strong myrrh and myrrh is, is a particular herb that gives a beautiful fragrance but only when it's 
crushed. And the Lord wrote to the church at Smyrna, or had John write to them, and the Lord said to them that you're going to go through a whole lot of crushing. There's a lot of crushing going on, uh, but, the, but the idea was you're going to give off a sweet-smelling fragrance through all of this crushing. You just hang on. And so th- there seems to be a connection each time that the Lord makes with the name but, but some of these, as I looked at them, I, I'm finding the scholars are divided on what the meaning of some of these names. And so here's just a couple of ideas of what the name Thyatira means. One uh, suggested, or actually more than one, suggested that it means a perfume. A perfume. And then uh, others suggested that it means a continual sacrifice. Continual sacrifice. You kind of see a little bit of a connection there. Many times the sacrifices gave off a sweet-smelling odor uh, like a perfume. So you can kind of see a little bit of a connection there. But, but now whether, whether the Lord is appealing to the perfume side or the, the, the continual sacrifice side, I, I'm, I, I can't tell you. I don't know. I, I do know as we read through that letter, you saw that he addresses uh, Jezebel. And the fact that Jezebel was seducing others. And, uh, and so you can kind of see where this perfume, you know, uh, this, this, this spirit of seduction and, and the strong perfumes. And you, you kind of see where there could be a tie in there. And, and the other thing is, if it's the continual sacrifice, then, then I, I think that there is... When you really start understanding what I'm going to show you in a few minutes about what's going on in this church, uh, that this continual sacrifice, I think, would make a reference to what was stated in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Read. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened. Impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted, have tasted the, the heavenly gift, gift and were made partakers, made partakers of, the Holy, of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word, tasted of, God the good word of God and the powers of, powers the, world of the world to come. To come. And they shall fall away. If they shall fall away. To renew them, to again, renew them unto again unto repentance. Seeing they crucify now, 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 now stop right there. I'm going to come back. I'm going to, we're going to finish that. But I have to say this. Because this verse is totally misunderstood by so many. I want you to notice. He says it's impossible if they fall away. Not if they fall. There's a difference between falling and falling away. Now, I used to live in Colorado. I've talked to this church about Skyline Drive. Now, that's, that, that's a small hill in Colorado. It's only 800 feet above the city. Uh, but I've been up on Skyline Drive. Uh, I've been up on Pikes Peak, which is uh, over 14,000 feet above sea level. And I want to tell you, now, I, I've watched these young people, and I won't call any names, like, the one running the sound tonight and some of the others. I, I won't call any names. But I've watched some of these young people as they, Brother Goff, they, they want to get out on those rocks. And they want to go as far out there and look out. on. You know, they want that view, get way out there and look over. And I'm going to tell you, here's me. This is the edge. And I'm back here saying, looks really nice. Smart. You're smart. That's wisdom. Hallelujah. <laughs> I ain't taking no chances now. Now listen, when I'm standing way back here, 
and the cliff is there. I'm standing back here. If I fall, I can get back up. But that one that's way out here on the ledge, and he falls, he doesn't just fall, he falls away. You understand? There's no helping at that point. And there's, this is what the writer, he, he doesn't say it's impossible for someone that falls to repent. But he said if they ever fall away, if they ever reach a place that they've lived so carelessly and so dangerously that they just cannot pick themselves back up again, then they reach a place that they cannot find repentance. And here's what he says about living that kind of lifestyle. He said, here's why you, they cannot find repentance. Why? Seeing they crucified, Seeing that to, they themselves crucified the to themselves the Son of God afresh. And put him to an open shame. Now listen. Here's what the writer is telling us. The cross of Calvary was because of our sins. Right? That's why he went to Calvary, to bear our sins. And we come to an altar, and we lay our sins on an altar, and we ask God to take those sins away. But if we continue to live in those sins, you know what we're doing? We're expecting him to get back on that cross again, and again, and again, and again. Just keep covering for me, Jesus. And that's not what he wants out of us. We don't need to be crucifying him afresh. I believe that's what, if if it is the continual sacrifice uh, to which the Lord refers, I think that's what he's talking about, Brother Goff. I think he's saying to Thyatira, I'm looking at the things that are going on there, and you guys are just crucifying me over and over and over and over and over. Now listen, instead of crucifying him afresh, here's what ought to be happening. Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you therefore, I beseech you therefore brethren, by the mercies, by the of, mercies God, of God, that you present, that your, you bodies, present your bodies a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice holy, holy, acceptable, acceptable unto, God, unto God, which is your reason. You want to know who needs to get back on the cross every day? It's not him, it's us. We're the ones that have got to die again and again and again. There's a carnal nature inside of us that keeps wanting to go back to the things of this world but I gotta find my way back to Calvary I gotta die every day I gotta die yes 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 every day oh mercy praise God so I don't know I'll leave that for you to decide what he meant which of those he was addressing when he addressed Thyatira. Both of them are applicable. Now, I mentioned to you, in, uh, as we dealt with Pergamos last week, that the way the Lord identified himself to Pergamos was significant. And I want to tell you, the way he identifies himself to Thyatira is very significant. So let's go back again. You got your Bibles open now. Let's, let's look again, Revelation 2. Let's take this letter verse by verse and let's look at it. Revelation 2 verse 18, read. And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira. Unto the angel Thyatira, or the right? messenger or the pastor of the church in Thyatira, 
I want you to write these things. These things saith the Son of God. This is, these are the things that the Son of God says to you. Now listen. Who hath his eyes, Who hath his eyes like, unto a, flame like unto a flame of fire. And his feet and are his like fine feet brass. Are like fine brass. Yes. Now what a way to describe himself. Last week we talked about Pergamos. He said, you know, I've got a two-edged sword coming out of my mouth. And that was significant. And now he says to them, I want you to understand who's talking to you. My eyes are like a flame of fire. Now, let's, again, let's take ourselves out of 2021. And let's go back into the time period of the early church. They didn't have these kinds of lights. If they wanted to go out into the night, they only had one way of lighting up their path in the night. If they're going to do some exploring in a cave in the daytime, they didn't have flashlights and batteries. Are you with me? There's only one way that they could cut through the darkness. And it was to build a fire. A torch. And that torch, in fact, interestingly, when we go to Africa, that's, that's what they call a flashlight over there. They call it a torch. That's the term they use. And first time they ever said something about grab the torch, I'm looking around. I didn't smell any smoke anywhere. Didn't see any flames. I, I, I wasn't sure what that torch was he's talking about. Uh, and then one of them said he's going to put a torch on their head. Oh, my. And I realized they got a little cap that's got a flashlight on it. Forehead. I, suddenly I understood. But, but a torch. You see, that fire would pierce the darkness and expose everything that was hidden. And he, he writes to Thyatira and he says to them, I want you to know that my eyes are like a burning torch. You can hide anything you want to hide, but my eyes will discover it. You're not going to keep it hidden from me. You're not going to keep it buried from me. I can see through it. Yes. 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 Obadiah 1.6. I got to hurry. Read. How are the things of Esau How are searched the things out? of Esau searched out? How are his How hidden, are things, his sought hidden things sought up? I'm telling you, that's the way God is. We don't hide anything from God. There is nothing hidden from him. He sees everything. He knows everything. He hears every conversation. He sees every action. In fact, the Bible says, are you ready for this? That he knows our thoughts are far off. Before we even think them, he knew what we were going to think. There's nothing hidden from God. Now we can put a smile on our face and hug our brother's neck and say, I love you. But God's burning eyes see whether that's really love 
or whether there's a dagger in that hand as it goes around the shoulder. I'm just telling you the truth tonight. I told you this wasn't going to be nearly as exciting, but this is a part of the process. Amen. And then, then he said, he said, my eyes are like a flame of fire and my feet, he said, are like fine brass. Well, now that's interesting. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to skip over a few scriptures. I'm running way out of time. But, but he, listen, when you go back into the Old Testament, you start looking at typology, symbols. Uh, you, you start understanding some things I've talked about before that in the Old Testament, you see, you see just like in the tabernacle, much of the tabernacle was made of gold or was overlaid with gold. Gold symbolized the deity of God. Hallelujah. Uh, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat was wood, which, which symbolizes humanity, but it was overlaid with gold. So it was humanity and deity come together. To wit, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, that God was in Christ. Humanity and deity come together, and he is our mercy seat. So, so wood was humanity. Gold was deity. Brass was always judgment. It was judgment. You know, when they were told to build an altar, they were to build that altar, that first piece of furniture you see when you are headed toward the tabernacle. The first thing you come up to is an altar. And it wasn't made of gold. And it wasn't made of wood. It was made out of brass. It was judgment. This was where your sin must be judged. And even the very next piece was the laver. And it too was made out of brass. And you know, there was judgment that was passed on even at the laver. They had to go there. It was not enough that they stopped by the altar. Read for me Exodus. Uh, I don't know where this is. Down in here somewhere. Uh, but it's, it's there. Exodus 30 verse 20. When they go in unto the tabernacle of the congregation, uh-huh. they shall, wash, they with shall water wash with water that they, that die, they not. die not. Or when they come near to, the, they altar come near to, to the altar to minister, to burn, burn offering, offering made, made by, by fire. Now here's what he said. He said when they go, they got to go to the altar. That's the first place they got to go. But he said they better not go straight from the altar into the tabernacle. Because the altar is where that animal has been put to death. There's blood all over them. There's gore all over them. They're a mess right now. Before they ever walk into the presence of God, they got to be cleaned up. They're going to have to step by that laver. And they're going to have to wash. And God said if they don't wash, they're going to die. Now, I don't have time to develop this right now, but let me just say to you, my friend, I want you to know, if anybody tells you you don't have to be baptized to be saved, you better go back and look at your scriptures again. God said you can't get in that tabernacle until you've washed. I'm glad you go to the altar, but you got to wash before you come before God. 
said, I don't have time to develop it tonight. I wish I did. But he said, wash with water that you die not. There's yes. judgment. Yes. Judgment. Now, judgment can be avoided if you'll stop by that brazen labor. Right. Right. Yes. Hallelujah. And so the Lord says to Thyatira, I want you to know who it is that's speaking to you right now. My eyes are like fire and my feet are like brass. My eyes will expose the hidden sin and my feet will walk in judgment. Now he's writing to a church. This is another thing people want to tell you. Once saved, always saved. I, I'm, I'm telling you, you, you really need to take a look at some scriptures here. Yeah. You really need to take a look at some scriptures here. He's writing to a church. Yes. And he's telling them, I have got eyes like burning fire and feet like fine brass. I'm going to walk in your midst in judgment. All right. I gotta hurry. Gotta hurry. Now, he—I mean, he—he he comes out. He comes out of the, out of the gate swinging. I mean, he comes out swinging. Obviously, he's not real happy with Thyatira. But in spite of that, he does take time to speak well of them. So let's look at this real quickly here. Uh, verse 19, Revelation 2, verse 19. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Isn't this interesting? I know your works. We talked about this. Could be good, could be bad. The word is generic. Right. In this case, uh, I think he's talking about both. I know your works. But really, he's leaning more toward the good because he goes on and follows that with, I also know your charity, and that word is love. I know how much you love. And I know your service. I know that you're out there helping others. You're working to help others. I see your service. I see your faith. And I see your patience. And I see your works again come full circle except there's something different about this one we'll talk about that let me go through this quickly here here we have people who are working and they're doing it out of love now compare this to Ephesus do you remember what the Lord said to Ephesus they had good works but they left their first love they were doing all of these works but not out of love Thyatira was doing these works and they were doing it out of love. Hallelujah. Uh And this love was proven by the fact that the saints at Thyatira were involved in service. Love is not love until it is shown, it's got to be displayed. And they were serving others. And then he said, he said, I know your faith. And listen, that's not the faith as in doctrine. He's talking here about their ability to have confidence in God. And trust in God to take care of them. 
Now, you got to think about these things, church. We're going to see how all this matters in just a moment. And I know my time is up, but give me a few moments here. We're going to see how all this matters. I know your faith, not that you've kept the faith, as in true doctrine, because that's something they're struggling with. We're going to see that. But, but he said, I do know you've got faith in God. Right. And then he commended them for their patience. They didn't begrudge the work or the service or the faith. They were patiently doing their part. And then he says, and I know your works. The last to be more than the first. And here he's telling Ephesus, go back and do the first. And he's telling Thyatira, what you're doing now is more than what you did at the first. Now one commentator said those which had been recently performed were more numerous and more commendable than those which had been rendered formerly. That is, they were making progress. They'd been acting more and more in accordance with the nature and claims of the Christian profession. This is the most honorable commendation and one which every Christian and every church should seek. That our latter works are greater than our former. Another commentator said their growing fruitfulness, their last works were better than their first. This is an excellent character. When others had left their first love, lost their first zeal, they were growing wiser and better. It should be the ambition and earnest desire of all Christians that their last works may be their best works. That they may be better and better every day and best at last. Now here's a church full of love, full of helping the community, serving others, doing all these good things, and God commends them for doing it. But there are some things they left out. I'm going to tell you, it's 9 o'clock, and I'm only halfway through my notes tonight. And as much as I haven't wanted to do it, I'm probably going to be better off to break this one into two. So that we can really get to where we need to go in all of this. Uh, I don't want to rush this too much. But let me, let, me just, let me just finish this one little thought. And then, then we'll come back, Lord willing, next week. And we'll, we'll talk about uh, some more of all of this. But, but listen, to what, listen to what here is what we find in Thyatira. We find there much of what we're finding in Christianity today. And I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I'm just telling the facts. But we are finding more and more churches that all they want is the social aspect. Come on now. Yes. It's more about doing good than it is about following God. Now if you follow God, you're going to do good. Don't misunderstand me. But what I'm telling you is the church was not put on this earth right. for the sole purpose of clothing the naked right. and feeding the hungry. Come on. We are put on this church, on this earth, first and foremost, to save the lost. Right. Yes, sir. 
Now, if we're going to do things right, we'll do the other things. You understand what I'm saying? But that's not our primary goal. But I'm telling you, I'm seeing a whole lot of churches that they've just forgotten all about trying to win the loss. In fact, in their minds, everybody's saved. You can do whatever you want. You can live however you want. You can be as ungodly, as perverted as you want. It's all okay. Let's just make sure we got a food pantry. Let's just make sure that we got a clothing rack. Let's just make sure that we're meeting some financial needs. And then it doesn't matter matter how anybody lives it doesn't matter we don't have to preach salvation we don't want to preach conviction oh God help us that's exactly where Thyatira was they were doing good things it reminds me of what the Lord said to the Pharisees these ought ye to have done but not to leave the other undone I hope you understand what I'm saying church there's got to be this balance. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But first and foremost, it's got to be about truth. Yes. Listen to me, I'm trying to close. But Jesus did not say, if you'll love everybody, you'll go to heaven. That's not what he said. He didn't say, except a man love everybody. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now he expects us to love everybody. Yes. Are you hearing me? Yeah. But that's not what he said. Yes, yes, yes. What did he say, Brother Nelson? John chapter 3, verse 5. What did he say? Jesus answered, Jesus verily, answered verily, or truly, truly. I say, I unto, say thee, unto thee, except a man, except be, born a man water, be born of water and of, and the, spirit, of the Spirit. He cannot. 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 This is Jesus speaking. This is not me. This is not a denomination. This is Jesus speaking. Unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. We can love folks, feed folks, clothe folks, and they can go to a devil's hell clothed and fed and loved. And what good have we done them if we don't give them the gospel? Again, I'm not saying neglect the other. I'm saying we got to get them to heaven. Jesus is the one who said it'd be better to enter into, into life eternal, maimed or halt or blind. It'd be better for you to be lacking some things in this life and inherit eternal life than to have everything you want in this life and go to hell. Jesus is the one who told us that. I'm here to preach to you tonight. Amen. Thyatira, you got off base somewhere. You got involved in other things. Amen. But you left the most important thing. It wasn't about saving souls. It was just about serving souls. Now, if we're going to save them, we're going to have to serve them. But Thyatira was much more concerned about serving than saving. I'm going to mark my notes and we're going to stop right here. Musicians come. 
We'll come back and pick up Thyatira part two, Lord willing, next week. And talk some more. There's a lot in this. There's a lot in this we got to go through. Oh, God. Amen. But I want you to remember, Jesus commended them for good things. But he didn't stop with just that. He said, I've got some things against you. There's some things we got to get fixed, Thyatira. Just because you're doing all of these great things to help others doesn't mean you're getting a free pass through the pearly gates. Well, let's stand tonight. I'm here to tell you the most important thing. The most important thing. The Bible says that even Jesus himself came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm going to tell you, as he did that, did he feed people? Sure he did. Sure he did. We sang about it tonight. He fed 5,000. In another place, he fed 4,000. Yeah, he fed people. Did he clothe people? Well, I read where there was a man running naked in the tombs. And when the rest of the city came out to see him, he was sitting clothed. And in his right mind. Did he feed people? Yes. Did he clothe people? Yes. But he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not that which was naked and not that which was hungry. But that which was lost. The rest of it, the rest of it's on the periphery. The rest of it. And we're going to be doing some of that. We're going to be handing out. We're going to be helping folks. Amen. We're getting ready to to do a big handout for school kids. We're working towards that. It's in the plans. It's coming up. I'm not preaching against doing those things. But I'm saying in everything we do, there's got to be a number one priority. And that number one priority is not to meet the physical needs. It's not to meet the financial needs. The number one priority is to meet the spiritual need. we got to see people saved. That's more important than anything else. I don't want to find myself in the condition of Thyatira. I don't want to find myself like that church. So busy serving, loving, caring, but missing their whole focus. Let's lift our hands and love the Lord right now, can we? Let's love Him right now. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, God. Help us, God, to keep our eyes on that which matters most. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to come spend some time in prayer. If you know the Lord and the power of the Holy Ghost...
it still would be good for us to find a place and recommit ourselves to the number one call on our life, and that's reaching the lost. But if you've never experienced the power of the Spirit in your own life, these altars are open for you. God wants to fill you tonight. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Let's find a place to pray, everybody. Let's find a place to pray. Let's talk to the Lord together. Oh, Jesus, help us.